we are very fortunate to have on the Hunt Harvest Health podcast the brothers behind Lathrop and Sons. For those that have not heard of Lathrop and Sons, it's a company that kind of specializes in getting people into the most beneficial, comfortable boots for their specific foot shape. And for us hunters, you know, we depend on the health and functionality of our feet. Um, you know, this is extremely beneficial and, and a super important service that I think can help when deciding on what boots you're going to go into the mountains in. So I'm really excited just to geek out and talk with a couple of experts in the field of podiatry and boot fitting as well as boot making now. Um, so Stephen and James, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ryan? Uh, we're doing great this morning. Hi, guys. Hey. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's really great that you asked us to be part of this. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I kind of wanted to get a little bit of background from uh, from each of you guys. Now you're brothers. Um, yeah. Now you guys are, what state are you guys working out of? Where are you living? We're out of Illinois, southeastern Illinois, about an hour and 45 minutes uh, southwest of Indianapolis. Okay, yeah, perfect. Yeah, so you guys, are, so you guys, I'm guessing you're whitetail hunters. You guys probably get after the whitetail a little bit over there. Absolutely, yeah, every sure day time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's really our passion. Is it? Okay. Yeah, we a lot of time out putting food plots out and just working the ground just to make sure that our time out there is really enjoyable, not only for us but for the kids too. Yeah, and my wife. My wife started. Yeah, running. Carrie James's wife. She's quite an accomplished bow hunter really? as well, and. Oh yeah, yeah, she does. She gets after it. She's she had some really great success this year. But Man, you know, James awesome. talking about our food plots we put out. We don't just do the food plots. You know, I, I want to bring something up here, Ryan, and I know we want to talk about boots. But a lot of guys look at a, a a whitetail hunter, and you see a lot of stuff on TV sitting on this big green field and hunting these you know golf courses. You know, I that stuff. The Midwest is completely different. And uh, we actually go in and we manicure our woods. We'll go in and, and literally cut down timber to create brows for these animals and create bedding areas for them. And, you know, Illinois kind of got hit there a couple of years ago with um, a disease, and it was pretty rampant. It went through, and we lost a lot of deer. And, gosh, for for several years, we just would not shoot any does and uh it's been a real struggle getting our herd back but uh we're working hard at it we're we're conservationists as well yeah wow that's interesting yeah that's completely different than uh, us boys out west and, and how we do it but you know i've always looked at whitetail I, i've never I haven't done a whole lot of whitetail hunting in, in my years I've, I've done a little bit of mountain hunting for them but uh you know like you said like what we've seen on tv it is completely different um you know, I know a lot of guys out here will kind of poo-poo whitetail, but, you know, I, I think anybody who's done it, everybody I've talked to who's done it, um, man, they, all of a sudden they get this real big, you know, a huge respect for guys that can get out there and do it. And it's just a different different game, you know. You guys, like you talked about, you're doing food plots and, and getting the bedding areas all dialed in and, and um, you know, just kind of figuring it out. I know patience is, is one of those things that I don't probably have – enough of to uh do what you guys do but uh oh you could you could do it the the, the real joy and as you go along and, and and what i'm getting ready to say it can start to wear on you and it can start to take a little bit of fun out of it yeah hmm. when you start to target one specific animal 
Yeah. And, and you have a history with that critter for three or four years, and you hunt that animal specifically, you're, you're in the game, and I'm not going to say it's really trophy hunting. I, I guess he's a trophy, but it's really more of self-satisfaction to outsmart that animal on his turf, but uh, it can wear on you, man. You can put a lot of pressure on yourself, and and uh, but that, that's the extreme that James and I have kind of pushed where we're at now, but uh, once we uh, kind of got to have fun with it too, I guess. Yeah, I could see, I could see that. I could see how, you know, from going to just shooting any buck that comes by to actually learning one deer and, uh, you know, seeing it year after year and just kind of putting all your efforts into that one deer, that's got to be a pretty big sense of accomplishment once you've got that, once you're uh, able to harvest that buck, if you are. Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. There's no doubt about that. That's kind of the pinnacle of it. Now, do you guys ever get out west and do any mountain hunting out here in any of these western states? Sure, oh, yeah. yeah. We get out to Colorado as, as often as we possibly can. Okay. You guys chasing so, muleys or elk or a little bit of everything? We go after elk. I mean, that's just something that I think we've all kind of... That's what we love that's to do. That's what we, we love to do. It's big, beastly animals. We love yeah. to hear them scream. And, Very majestic. And... Uh, completely different for a couple Midwest boys that were, you know, started bow hunting at the age of what? You were 15. I was, I was 14, 15. 14, 15. And, uh, you know, you get to go out west and you see that first elk, you just can't believe it. And then you walk up on the first one that you ever shot and you're just awestruck, like, you've got to be kidding me, you know? <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, it is. It's unreal. It's a big thing. I mean, for us, I mean, we can walk out the door and within 15 minutes be sitting in a tree stand or a blind hunting a whitetail and have fun. And for us to take the trip, I mean, it's an expedition for us to be able to do something like this. And and we don't live there, so we have to figure it out. And when you finally do kind of things start working your, in your in your behalf, in your direction, mm-hmm. it's really exciting. Now, I'm guessing for, for some Eastern boys like yourself, it probably takes a little bit when you come out here. You know, you probably have stuck to an area and, and learned it, and, and you're, you know, year to year, you're probably <laughs> getting trips, a little bit you know, you figure out. And, and you, well, it does, and I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and James can interject here. You know, I think the biggest thing for a Midwest guy, and it's not a, everyone, but you have to push a little bit mm-hmm. past your comfort zone in order to get into that area. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you know, it's a little intimidating when you get out there in the mountains. Okay, you're going to park your truck, throw your pack on, you take off. I mean, you go two and a half miles. Man, do we really go four miles? Because what if we shoot one? How are we going to get that out of here? <laughs> You you just have to make the mindset that you're yeah, that's do what it. you're gonna and do, what, and that's what we try to do. Just like just like everybody else, you 
you got it out, push as hard as you possibly can, and at the end of the day, if you if you sometimes you come up empty-handed, the difference I think probably between whitetail and that is you're just exerting so much energy out west, and obviously we live at 500 feet, so we're kind of the underdog going into this. So I mean the tra- amount of training. I mean kudos to everyone who's training out west and doing that, but. You know, go from 500 feet, you can train all day long, but you get at 10,000 feet, you're just sucking air through a straw for the first three days. It's just pure hell on We're actually in the same boat. We're a couple of coasties over uh-huh. here. You know, we're, we're at about 500, uh, 500 feet, but we do get into the mountains quite a bit, so we've been acclimated. But, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't been to Illinois, but I'm imagining not a whole lot of uh, big snow-capped, steep, no, no, no. <laughs> we got to go we down into a beautiful country. We have, we, if we go south about two and a half hours, we're in the Shawnee National Forest. And down there, there's a lot of, there's some big hills and, and cliffs. I used to Hardly. do a lot of uh, rock climbing and rappelling down in there. So I've spent, yeah. used to spend a lot of time going up and down the hills there. It's nothing like the mountains by any means, but it, it certainly is a lot of fun. And yeah, absolutely. Well, that makes me think of a story. I, I don't hunt, but um, we used to do a lot of backcountry skiing, and it reminds me of a story. We were in uh, Salt Lake at Alta, and if uh-huh. you've ever, um, like, we're used to skiing big mountains here, right? Like, we, I grew up in Montana, and we lived in Washington, so we're used to skiing big mountains, and I was on the lift one day with these two teenage boys, and they were from, like, New Hampshire or something. And we get on the lift, and I think it was their very first run, and the lift literally goes, like, straight up over this cliff. Like, you're going right up over this cliff, and these guys go, "You do you ski these these kind of mountains all the time? And they're like, yeah. And I go, yeah? Like, what do you mean? You don't? Like, this is how you ski. And they're like, we're from, like, New Hampshire. We've never even seen mountains like this, you know? And this this lift is about to drop them off on probably, like, the steepest mountain they've ever skied Big in their old whole double life. diamond, yeah. No, they're used to skiing ice fields in New Hampshire, right? You get used to what you know, and you know, and uh, learning something new is a bit scary, but... You, you kind of mentioned, you know... The intimidation and and getting into the ten thousand foot. Now, I got a question because it seems to be in a lot of people's minds uh, that intimidation factor of coming out west. Um, the elevation. Have you had any any problems issues? Uh, yeah, I, I've experienced it a couple times. I actually, you don't care if I say this. I watched it hit James once too, and that that was really in the first years, and it was just fly up to the top and start pitching camp and this is when we first started you know just truck hunt camping yeah you know and and we we didn't have a lot of success but we got into some elk doing that mm-hmm. i just remember one time we were jumped out of that rig and we were just you know asses and elbows putting this pack or pulling our packs out and putting up our tp and you know doing all this stuff just you know adrenaline rush man we're here to hunt and I remember kind of looking back at James, and he just kind of looked puny, you know. I said, here, you need to take this. And it was like a meclazine or something for motion sickness. And a little later, he's my brother, and we're with a couple buddies, and I hear him just kind of go, ah, I feel better. And I turn around, well, that that's what had happened. We just blew up there so fast, mm-hmm. and 
attacked it that it bought bidding, but he doesn't, I don't, you don't really get affected by it that, that much. That actually anymore. was the only time I ever had any problem with it. I, you know, I think I've kind of felt a little bit on the claustrophobic side the first the first time I went out, and Stephen wasn't with me the first time I went out elk hunting. Uh, my old roommate was, and my our oldest brother Robert was with us. Uh, I just remember sitting there in the tent at night and just feeling kind of like I had a a sheet wrapped around me, heavy, <laughs> and and I was just antsy wanting to get up and move around and yeah. I never had any headache really or anything like that and nowadays I, I I don't have anything like that happen but I'm a lot more active too than what I was then right. I mean I was pretty young and I would just gotten married and was kind of settling into a house with a wife and kids and kind of Didn't sitting really on the couch a little bit, that it. kind of stuff, you know. You know what it takes to get into a hunt. Then now. you, I mean, now you get out and you really get. I work prayer. out every day and and yeah. Good, so yeah, but I have I, I, I had a lot better now. So I, you I got, had that episode. And it was it was fifteen with James and I was we I was in good shape and it, it kind of bit me up there and. I just don't know exactly what it was that triggered it, but uh, we, we climbed up to that peak that uh, morning about so you, midday. We you're talking drive probably 10,000 feet or, or higher, huh? Maybe? It was right right below 10, wasn't it, Jay? Yeah, it was about yeah, 10.5, something like that. And we hit that... And it was it was kind of a gasser getting up there. It, there was no trail to hike, and it was steep, and and we didn't have a lot of water up there, so we we prepared ourselves. Yeah, but you were also recovering from surgery. A little so bit. that it could have had something to do with it too. Yeah. And um, anyway, I got up to the top, and I you know he just kind of said, "Let me look around up here," and I said, "I'm just going to sit and you know take a little break," and kind of saw little speckles in my eyes and didn't think it was a big deal and I felt great then gave me 15 minutes heck we hiked the rest of that spine all the way out found where we were going to pitch camp and hunted that evening came back to camp just chilled out they kind of you know pumped together the next morning and that next morning we got up and wasn't a whole lot going on and uh, we decided to tear down and and drop drop back out of it because this unit we if you literally went three miles you were at the next road and uh we hit that climbed off of that peak came down and i mean it was an effort just coming down i mean it really really hit me heavy when we got to the truck i threw my pack and my boat in and i just wanted to go lay under that tree and he said you know oh you need to eat and what ended up happening was i was getting altitude sickness my appetite was gone i didn't have any energy. Um, yeah, it was a bummer. I and I and I had had a friend that's a physician recommend that I take some Diamox before, which I didn't do, but I took it with me. And James kind of gave me a pep talk. Said, "Come on, if we have to just drive around the unit to check stuff out, we'll do that." And about an hour later, I'm really feeling you know spunky again and. I actually had taken one of those, what were those, um, that 
powder that we mixed. It was wilderness acid. It was a yeah, like an electrolyte drink and. I forget which one it was. It really worked great. It's energy and focus. I took one of those and I felt kind of feel like it was helping me. And I, I looked at James and I said, "Hey, I said, you know, our, our buddy Dave, um, our physician buddy Dave, gave me a prescription for that." I said, "Do you think that I should go ahead and take that?" And he looked at me like, "Duh, you might want to do that, Stephen." And I took one, and you know, it was a couple hours later. I mean, I just felt like a million bucks. So. Yeah, it's it kind of works on you. Kind of a long-winded story, but it works on you. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I've heard a lot of horror stories from guys, and and it does seem like you know, um, you know, a lot of guys coming east these days. So, and I think Colorado has kind of been a destination, and they're coming, coming west from the east. And and I think the destination of Colorado, man, that is that is such night and day from what you're used to. And I think uh, kind of easing into it and getting acclimated a little bit, you know, might help you, but. Uh, yeah, it's 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 happened to the best of the the best up there. So um. you actually ask people's opinion about this stuff that do the same thing or have the same interests, you know. And you, I, I got to be honest, you, you almost feel kind of ashamed because you 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 know you're strapping guy that works out and he's going out on his hunt. And he's got the best gear, the best boots on his feet, and he gets up there and he and he feels like he's got something to hold you back like that. So you kind of ask some of these guys, "Hey, have you ever had that happen to you?" And you know you start talking around and you'd be shocked how many people have had oh, yeah. you know that nausea, the knots in your stomach, and you just can't sleep, that sleeplessness that James described. I mean, it, it's the real deal. It's it's very stuff. Yeah, and it's it's not one of those things that you can really, uh, you know, train for. It doesn't matter how good a shape you are going into the season. Uh, none of that matters, and, and you're right. You know, I've, I as well, I've talked to guys that – experienced guys that have maybe hunted a state like mine where you know you get up to six seven thousand eight thousand feet on occasion and no issues at all but then once you get up there a little higher up into the 10 and 12 and shoot 13 some places there in colorado um and Utah, we, it's, it, it just it's night and day it's a different world and, and it just hits them and knocks them out of a hunt so one of the reasons why i i was really excited to get you guys on here is uh you know i feel you guys are are just experts in your field, you know, um, podiatry and, and foot care and, and, you know, fitting and, and everything boot related. Um, and that's something that I've, I'm super interested in. I know a lot of the younger hunters, you know, they ask me all the time, what, you know, what, what are those pieces, what are the most important pieces of gear when you're going out on a hunt, right? That's, it's kind of always been sure. a question. And, and, you know, I, some, I hear some people say, you know, maybe it's your backpack, but boot is always in the top two. And I, I think it's number one because, man, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care who you are. You could be this chiseled, rock solid, CrossFit going, you know, beast of a guy who who goes into the mountains fit. You're you're you've trained. Your shooting is just spot on. Everything is good. Your, your nutrition is right, and yet your feet your feet get hammered or destroyed, or you have some type of an issue um, because you're in a poor fitting boot. And it just levels you, you know, it, it takes you out of the mountains and, and I've seen it over and over and over. And, and I've seen guys that get these massive heel blisters and it's just one of the biggest topics as far as, you know, what, what is the most important thing, uh, when you, when you go on a backcountry hunt for guys coming out West, hitting these mountains, 
Um, and I, I just, from personal experience and guys that I've hunted with or hiked with even just the amount of, of issues that go on, um, in our world, you know, as far as, uh, you know, foot related, boot related issues, it, it's incredible. So I, I think I, I feel totally comfortable saying as far as, you know, when people ask me, what is the number one piece of gear that you got to start with, you got to invest in, you want to get it right. And that's the boot. Um, because everything else, everything else can be worked with, but if you don't have a good fit in boot and your feet go bad, um, somewhere on a hunt, if you're 10 miles in or whatever, man, that's painful and that it can just wreck you. So you can go buy the best optics, the best spotting scope, but seriously, what, what good does it do you if you have an abnormality on the back of your heel I'm going to give you an example. You have an abnormality on the back of your heel. You've, you, maybe you live out west, mm-hmm. but you've never been on a hike. Mm-hmm. You realize that some of our clientele are those kind of guys. They've never been on a hike. They've never put on a pair of backpacking boots like we fit for people. And those boots, when, they're, when the fitment process is done, right? You don't experience near the problems you do when you just grab something and throw it on your foot. When they start getting into that category of boot, that's when all these problems rear their ugly little face. A shoe that doesn't have a lot of stability. So, no, I, I completely agree with you. They, so they go out and buy the best pack, the best gear, all, all the best sleeping bags and optics. I mean, my God, if you can't get up the side of the mountain because you've got silver dollar blisters on the back of your heel. Yeah, it's not going to help you when you're sitting on the side of a side of the trail and you can't do? go any farther, you know. It, yeah, you, what are you going to do? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So, so I guess... Look through your binoculars at the bull elk, walk over the side <laughs> of the ridge. And you can't go and after him. And we know how no. that happens. A big old bull just walks by. I mean... Come on, it just never happens that way. So you got to be able to get after it, and and definitely, uh, you know, foot care and, and having the right boot is is one of those keys and one of those one of those things that I just I, I refuse to skimp on and and uh, refuse to to take lightly because it's it's just extremely important for what we do. So so I guess how did you guys how did you guys come to be in the business that you're in, um, James? Maybe you could kind of give us a little background as far as how you guys got to where you're at. Well, <clears throat> really, it kind of started right when uh, I think I was 15. I think Stephen was probably 15 or 14, too. Uh, our father's a, he's a podiatrist. He's a foot doctor. Stephen and I are both podiatrists. We make orthotics for his office. Okay. Um, and we started working in, in his facility just doing you know, vacuuming, doing stuff like that. and Cheap labor. Yeah. Well, it was kind of like this. His philosophy was, if you're going to sit at the at the table and eat, you can work and put into it. So we got in there and started learning how to do some of these things. And, and um, when we got into making orthotics, and, and he taught us how to do that. He taught us how to stand up against it a grinder and, and bevel edge on these types of inserts, make little adjustments. And that was, he and I, Steve and I are both, I, I would consider us very good, quick learners with our hands. 
um, you show us how to do something, we can replicate it pretty easy. And so we kind of stuck with it and, and started doing that. And over the years, doing all this and taking care of helping our father with the patients, uh, we kind of got into working on our own boots and shoes for hunting purposes. And then, and when you're fabricating orthotic, there's all kinds of different types of materials there, and they're, they're there for a reason. Some mold, some kind of have some insulation uh, properties to it, and so on and so forth. And so that's kind of how we, we drifted on into this type of business. And... Uh, basically uh, kind of went on from there for the most part. So so your father was, how long was your father a a podiatrist, or is he still doing that? Dad is still, he's He's still practicing. practicing. He says he's 74. It seems like he's been 74 for the last five years. (laughs) And he's very passionate about it. And talk about us fitting boots to people's feet. That passion we have it as well, and, and we were taught by yours truly. Uh, he's very passionate. So we take each fitting, each person that calls in, and whether they're asking us a question or whether they're going through a custom boot system with us and having us evaluate their feet, having our father set in and evaluate their feet and, and really develop a plan for them, the passion is present every time. We really want to make sure. We kind of take offense if somebody is having a problem. We kind of feel bad. If we have to do adjustments. We kind of like ah, oh, hate that. You know, we're very uh, we're very passionate about what we do, and and we take to heart just like Hillary, your, your patients that you deal with. You you treat them just like they're your own, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know. When when you're helping somebody out and they come to you for guidance, um, you, you really take that to heart. And I, and I think that's what really the people that have experienced it and and and, and, and can understand, they can feel that vibe coming from us. They they have a they have a great result uh, out of their fitting, and that's what makes Lathrop and Sons the uh, the company. We, we really take the time to do it. And we've been told that, you know, there's not a lot of people that do that this day and age. There isn't. No, there's not. And and I I know just from some of the some of the buddies that I have that have called you guys in the past and, and talked to you guys on the phone. Um, you know, I've I've got a few guys that, that have done that and gone through the process of, of what you guys do and you know, super happy and, and one of the first things they say is uh you guys will sit and talk uh, shoot, I had a guy tell me, uh, you, you guys talked with him for, it must have been well over an hour. He, he felt it was like an hour and a half. You know what? We do. But the thing is, is that shows your passion for what it you is. do. It is. When yeah. a guy comes to you with a problem and he wants to ask you about this, it's what it takes to get the job done right for the person. And by doing it that way, that person is now educated on the process and he can accurately represent what you are to the next person. Right. That is about. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I kind of, I kind of uh, can relate to that with what my wife does. You know, she's got, she's got a passion for helping people as well, being a naturopathic physician, and you know, she spends that extra time and care, and I think patients really see it, and they can see her passion and how she uh, takes the time to research and help people, and and actually get down to the root of the problem versus. Uh, you know, just here, take a pill or, or uh, here's a quick fix, just get through it and, and get out of my office type thing. So I can kind of relate to that. Um, what you guys are doing by taking time and, and figuring out, you know, what the core problem is and, and what the best boot and best fit would be. And, and if there's anything that you guys can do to help them, I, you know, I get it for sure. Very important. So what it's very important. One thing it is very important that that mentality is utilized for not just people that are going through our custom boot system process, but it's for people that are wanting to just buy a pair of boots. There are people out there that cannot afford to go through a custom boot fitting process, but still want to come to somebody with the knowledge to help them at least to get a boot to fit their foot correctly. Ryan, it even goes a step further than this, or than that. The other day, I had a guy that just called in, just, I think he was just looking at wanting to figure out what kind of a shoe that he needed. I think it was actually a work boot of sorts. Mm-hmm. And he had heard that we go through, we do this type of fitting and we're very knowledgeable on it. And I spent about 15 minutes just kind of talking about different types of shoes for that would be appropriate for the type of issue that he was having. I wanted to say that, um, you know, you guys already know a little bit of my personal history with my feet. Yeah. um, Maybe I'll share that just a little bit. So when I, I was, uh, I guess I was born with a a defect in my foot uh, where I had what's called a calcaneal navicular coalition. Sure. Long name, sounds complicated, but my right foot, basically my heel bone and my arch bone were fused. And so I didn't get uh, the joint in between that really allows for you to have a spring in your step. And that area where you get a lot of shock absorption and, you know, you think of jumpers, like they're jumping. I, I didn't get that in my right foot. I had a bone there. So, um, in my early, well, I had pain in my legs, my whole childhood and everything, my leg, but they just told my mom it was growing pains and just to give me warm milk. And so I would get these like excruciating pains in my right lower leg, but they, you know, kids have growing pains and we just do through that, and then um, I was a dancer, and then I got older in my teens, and I couldn't, it was literally like my foot just wouldn't move certain ways at all, and they told me I had a fallen arch. No one ever actually took an x-ray of my feet, which is crazy, but um, so as I got into my early 20s, I was waiting tables a lot, and I was having, I always had foot pain. That wasn't an issue. Like, I mean, I had that my whole life, but I had horrible hip pain. My hip pain was so bad that if I worked an eight-hour shift uh, standing on my feet, if I sat down on my shift, I would not be able to get up. That's how bad my hips were. And I was like 20, 21. So I finally convinced someone to take x-rays of my feet. They did. They found it, sent me to a specialist. There's actually people that know how to fix those, you know, how to take the bone out. And I got kind of a fake joint, like a fatty tissue joint. But my dilemma was always shoes. 
and no matter how much physical, so I did a lot of physical therapy, which helped, and I had to wear special orthotics for a while, which actually I felt like made me worse in a way. Maybe I was just too old by the time I got the surgery, you know, for my foot to really gain that shape that I had in my other foot. And then my left foot took a lot of beating because I, I used it for most stuff, right? So I stood on my left foot more. I didn't have as much pain. And then I started having problems in my left knee and my left ankle. And shoes were just, they said, oh, well, you got to go to these special shoe stores where... They make shoes for you, like for old people or something. I don't know. I I would go into these shoe stores and I'd be like, I'm not wearing any of these. You know, I was like 21. But it was very difficult prior to surgery. I mean, getting in a ski boot was almost impossible because I formed a curve in my tibia due to uh-huh. this change. So getting in a ski boot or wearing even a hiking boot was really uncomfortable After the surgery, I could get into a ski boot, of course, still uncomfortable, but not as bad because I could move my ankle, right? But boots and hiking, and when I met Ryan, you know, he's like a, he's like a, you know, African bushman. He can walk for like days and not stop. And he doesn't understand foot pain. And I, I always think about, he'll say, oh, we're going to go on this backpacking trip for a week or whatever. And it's always the first thing I think of is my feet. If he says, oh, let's run a 5K or the thought of running a marathon to me sounds like complete, utter torture. I, I think <laughs> like besides being pregnant, I couldn't think of another torture that would be worse. It would be, would be running for a whole marathon because my feet have never been good enough to do it. And I always felt like shoes were my kind of, they were my problem. I could never get them fitted right, hiking boots. Ryan's always buying me all these, fan, you know, in the right. past, expensive hiking boots. And I'd be like, they work for a while, but I'd always get a blister. And I would always get this foot fatigue. And I've heard you guys talk about this foot fatigue. And this is where Ryan and I differ in our hiking styles is I literally have to stop because my feet, they'll be blistered. They'll be and if they're not blistered, they're fatigued. I can't walk on them anymore. Um, I don't have that like shock absorption in my foot where I could just go on forever. And so that for me, my feet and like fitting a proper shoe is always the first thing in my mind when I think of doing any physical activity. So, you know, I think the benefit of what you guys are doing, you know, I, I, I know a few things that, um, you know, guys have talked to me about. Now, I have not yet gone through your mapping and, and, and done this, uh, the footbeds that you guys create, but I think my right. wife is probably a prime candidate for this, and we got to get yeah. it done because, yeah, it's it's a problem, you know. As much as I'd like to take her on some of these hikes, she's just, uh-huh. the foot pain in her one foot is has been such an issue, and, and we've never taken the time to, to get just the best fitting boot, um, and we've just kind of went with this boot, tried this boot. Well, we've already spent the money, and, and that's not working. But. but actually, this is this was to get to one of your points you were saying about giving people that attention, even if yeah. they're just buying, let's say, a less expensive boot. Is that, like, if I go to REI, which is our, you know, a kind of outdoor store here where they have boots, and I go there, I mean, I'll get some attention, but I, I don't, I don't feel like anybody can really understand what my foot is doing, right? They're just kind of... They can't relate to because no. they have no... 
formal education. And they're yeah. like retail workers, you know, they're looking at you like, uh, I don't know, you know, I like, do you have anything? I don't know. Just go walk on the little trail over there. And if it feels good, you know, you can use this boot. And so I'm that, always just, and it costs like, it costs a lot of money. And I don't feel like anybody actually is listening to what, you know, and they're not understanding my foot and my structure and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a great service to be able to give people that attention because that's going to make a huge difference in how they spend their money. Exactly. I would agree with you too, 100% on that. So do you guys get people like my wife who, who will come to you and, and have these kind of issues? Um, and, you know, you guys are able to kind of talk them through it and, and get them fitted for a boot that you guys think would, would work for her or, or, you know, get them a custom footbed. Or how does that work? You know, how does, how does the process go when, when somebody comes to you and, and has a problem? Well, I'm going to start. Again, there's two, there's two sides to our business. We have our custom boot system side, and then we have just, I guess, I'm going to say, like Hillary said, the retail side of it, right. where we have guys just wanting to buy a boot. I'll describe one. I'll let James describe the other. We'll have guys call up, Joe Blow will call, and he said, yeah, I wanted to get some information on your boot. It's just an example. And, you know, I had problems with my heels slipping in the boot. My heels slipping in the boot, and I get a little hot spot. Not necessarily a blister. I get a hot spot, and I'm going to go out west on this hunt. What do you think? What boot would you recommend for this trip? Before I go a step further with the guy, I ask him if he's had what the severity of that problem was. And sometimes it takes a little bit to open that can of worms up to get them to start divulging this information because I truly believe they have a preconceived idea that they're walking into a boot retailer. Right. Okay? So they have a preconceived idea when they call that they're, they've kind of got the defensive mode up that they're just going to get pawned a pair of boots. Sure. And then once we get that can of worms opened up, they divulge some information they realize are really there to help. We help guide them. Are they really a custom boot system candidate? Is that going to be their best avenue? Mm -hmm. Or by listening, I said listening to them talk about the basics of their foot. I'm not diagnosing do you think you have a flat foot? Do you think you have an arch? Do you think you have a high arch? Do you have a wide forefoot? Do your laces come together? When you, when you tie your boot up, that information from our years of experience, we can help a retail customer get a much better fit than they would if they jumped on some of these online site out yeah. hunting sites and bought a pair of boots or called the latest greatest boot brand and bought that boot and found out that it wasn't right so that so that's really the benefit to our retail side james explain the custom side tim how how you would define that clientele calling in well the person that calls in that well let's say you have the guy that calls in that has had some issues um, and this happens a lot. Um, a guy, he's purchased five or six different types of bids. 
the latest and greatest thing like Stephen just talked about. And for one reason or another, it wasn't comfortable. He got blisters. Say he had a terrible bunion on his foot, something like that. Um, this process is much more scientific, and it's much more involved. And essentially, a person purchases a mapping kit, which is a tool. It's something that we use which uh, to look at the actual shape of the foot, the pattern of the bottom surface of their foot. And because we've got this type of education, we can look at, you know, based on this foot, or do we need more of a inflared type of last? That's the shape of it. Um, maybe it's something where we need a, a wider type of foot uh, or boot last. Whatever it is, we figure that out so that when, and we put everything in a chart. This is all documented in a chart for later use for a person. Uh, once we have all this information down, we sit here and go over in a consultation, and we ask them a lot of the other questions as to, um, you know, what has been cooking, you know. Um, a lot of times people call in, and we encourage them, especially on our website, you need to call in so that we can go over the process with you. And, and, and so that in doing that, we have a... We can't remember everybody, so we have to do the consultation, and, and they have an opportunity to, to do a lot of uh, talking to us about um, some of their issues that they have. When it comes down to it, the common goal is this. We're fitting them with the correct boot, the correct size. We make those types of modifications to the boot to ensure the best of our ability that the fit is as total contact as it possibly can be. And that total contact fit is the type of fit that is going to keep that foot from shuffling around this way or that way. And that type of fit, utilizing the right, the right type of boot, sole, midsole, uh, is going to um, make them have... Uh, as little fatigue as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, what about, what about every, you know, I know everybody's kind of got their own idea of what works best for them. You know, take the fit away from it even. Um, some, some guys really like a real, you know, a stiffer shank to their boot. Maybe you could kind of go into a little bit about that um, for those that, haven't worn a, a real stiff boot um, versus, you know, something that doesn't have any shank to it at all. I, I'm not really, you know, a real stiff shank uh, fan, but just the kind of hunts I do, I think uh, they're a little more conducive to me having a little bit softer, uh, softer boot. So maybe yeah. we could go into the differences but there. I would say that as a whole, huh? how stiff is stiff? Ryan, what's what do you, because there's different levels of stiffness, like, yeah. you, <clears throat> well, what do you I've, mean? I mean, because there's a backpacking, uh, and there's backpack, full-on cramp-on is, like, super ultra stiff. Like, like you're having you a hard time uh, bending that thing at all, am I correct? Okay. Yeah. Then you have your backpacking that actually does 
still have that torsional stability, but there is some flexing to it. Then you have more of a trekking, hiking category that has a nice shank, but you can definitely bend it at the ball of the foot. And then you get to your ultra soft, which are like your soft, um, what, Solomon hunting shoes and and that type of series, so... I just wanted to be sure we defined that before we started giving you that it misled somebody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for the average guy, you know, we're not we're not toe-picking into, well, for the average hunter, I guess, out west. We're not typically toe-picking into rock and, and climbing straight up, but we're doing a lot of hiking, a lot of trail walks. You know, we're, we're putting on some miles, and, and um, you know, for me, a real stiff boot just doesn't really fit. It just doesn't feel right for me. It's kind of a clunk um, versus a little bit of a roll and all that. Is that pretty typical? I mean, what I, I now I say that I, there's certain hunts that you know in the steeper country I do like a little bit stiffer boot versus if I'm just bombing through country and, and really covering country early season and it's not maybe the steepest country. I like more of a softer sole to that boot. So um, is that pretty typical? I mean. It, well, I well yes and no, but I I think you have to have, um, I think you have to have an understanding of the person's foot type before you would ever suggestively tell somebody what boot to jump into. Mm-hmm. It's just like your wife. I mean, she has an underlying problem, and what is going to work for her on mild rolling country isn't going to work for a guy or a gal that doesn't have that. She may require a much stiffer boot for that milder terrain because of these underlying issues. Um, Whereas a gentleman or or a guy that's going out on a hunt that just has never had any foot issues, he can get away with a 40-pound pack and a trekking last even in some stuff, even in some tough country in Colorado or you know, all, all this stuff. So, you know, again, it goes back to, I think, foot type, uh, some foot indicators, issues that they've had. And, um, you know, my gut feeling on a lot of this stuff that, that we see, the more backpacking lasts just under the alpine category mm-hmm. seems to be where... I don't know, would you say 80%, probably 80% of our business is? Yeah. Just simply because uh, those guys are carrying a lot of their weight out themselves on their back. And if you get into a foot gear that doesn't have enough stability and you throw that load on your back, guess what happens to the sole of the shoe? It collapses under load. If it collapses under load, then the foot's going through motion, and then you heat up and you start blistering. And you get so, a lot of foot fatigue, I think, is what I tend to notice when uh, when it's collapsing. I I can definitely uh, definitely feel a lot more of that, a lot more tension in the, in the bottoms of my feet when I'm when I'm using a maybe a boot that that is just really soft sole, like uh, you know a tennis shoe or whatever. I've made that mistake more than once where I've packed a heavy load with just a you know a running shoe and and i've regretted it afterwards absolutely and and you know what the the problem with that is that heel comes down and makes contact with the ground kaboom right and if you don't have that all figured out with either a boot or a footbed in of some sort 
It's the domino effect or the chain reaction. It hit with the heel, it hits to the ankle, it goes to the knee, it goes to the back, it goes to the hip, and as you go long enough, it starts going other places, so... Yeah, so that that's where this whole idea of how important your feet are for the rest of your body. If if your feet are really good, I guess like in my situation, I always the first thing I look at is people's feet. Is that weird or what? Like I look at their feet because I go, "Oh, they have good feet" or "Oh, they have high arches" or you know, because that was my problem area. And having how because I do I do a treatment too where I deal with people's structural bodies. So by looking at their feet and looking how their gait and looking how their stance is, I can see a whole lot about what their patterns are going to be throughout their entire body. Sure. Because we that whole idea, right, we're, we're built kind of like a house, you know, or a structure where we have a lot of weight on top being homo sapiens. Um, and our foundations are just as important, as, as are very important for all that stability. You know? It does. It's a chain reaction. I mean, you're just compounding the problem. You're, you're, you need to look at that foot as a leaf spring. Think about it. Take a leaf spring in the back of the truck, flip it over upside down. Mm-hmm. Now you're visualizing an arch, right? Right, right. Throw your pack on and throw 70, 80 pounds in it. What's going to happen? It's going to flatten out. Right. If it flattens out in the foundation that you're just talking about, Hillary flexes, then your foot's flexing. If your foot's flexing, then you're going through abnormal ranges of motion. And it's not just blistering, it's the tendons and the ligaments are being pulled. Then it, then it comes up into your knees. Well, why do you think, I mean, when we do these consults and we talk to these guys about the importance of really utilizing trekking poles to offload, and um, our father's a study guy. He'll, he'll research stuff to the to the 10th degree, and then he'll bring them down and he'll say, check this out, guys. And, and, and they were tr- a lot of these European uh, backpackers have written, these orthopedists have written these studies, and it's phenomenal how trekking poles actually offload the back, the hip, and the lower uh, extremities with and without a pack. It's dispersing the force, right? Absolutely. Yep, it sure does. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot. I in my younger years, I was always uh, I was I was always <laughs> adamant about. I was laughing at guys that were had you know their trekking poles. I'd I kind of make fun of them with their shiny new trekking poles coming out of REI and, and hitting the mountain. But hey. man, I, that was just arrogance on my part because well, I tell you what, news, you know, you think you're never going to get older and have problems. Well, now I. I I don't go on any hike without trekking poles. I don't care what it is, if it's a short one, long one. I'm, I've got trekking poles, and especially on a hunt, because you're right. It's it is night and day when you're when you're climbing up a mountain, or you're just you know coming down a mountain with all that weight on. It's such a huge difference, and you notice it drastically. You know, just in the wear and tear on your legs and your feet um, makes it makes a really big difference. Now, you guys, you guys have just come out with your own boot. I wanted to get into that. It used to be a pretty good buzz out there with, with the boot from Lathrop & Sons. I think it's been awesome. This has been one hell of an experience. It really has. You know, I look back at this. Ryan, this is, I'm going to say my two cents and then James can hop in here, but this is really what our whole journey and I'm talking back 20 years doing the orthotics, what it was meant for. 
this 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 moment, this time that we're talking. I mean, we just unveiled this stuff. What Tuesday? Was Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday at five. Yeah, Tuesday at five. And I, and I told James, I said, this literally changes what, not who we are, but this is a new chapter, man. This is it. I mean, we've been fitting all these different boots to help people with their fit. It was time for us to take all that understanding, all these custom boot systems we've done dealing with all the problems, taking boots from a customer that just spent $400 because somebody on Instagram or told him, hey, this is a boot that just, it's bad, you got to have it, and it killed him, (laughs) and he he wore them, and now he can't send them back, and he's calling us desperately to ask us to help him fit. It was that power and energy that was thrusted into this boot belt. Got it. And when we decided to do this project, we knew to stay where we were at in the market. This thing had to be right. right. We couldn't cut corners on anything. We had to use the most premium product. We had to make sure that the last that we built the boot on was going to be accommodating for a lot of different foot types, either through molding and and footbed therapy or so on and so forth. That's what we built. We we took our midsole, and this is really unique, and a lot of people don't know it, man. These companies, a lot of them utilize their own, um, a midsole, okay? Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It is a quick, fast way to build a pair of boots and sell them, okay? We took all of our information from using all these different boots and seeing how they affected all these different foot types. We had measurements and degrees of angles and so on and so forth. James and I committed to this project 110%. We had milled injection molds made proprietary to Lathrop and Sons for every size that we offer. So that that fulcrum, the rock in that boot was specific to that foot. There isn't anybody that I have seen that has got that detailed in the market. And that is why that midsole, we called it the rocker cam midsole, because it rocks very swiftly as soon as you unlock your knee. (laughs) It's just, it's really exciting. It's really exciting. Well, we're happy to kind of be a part of this week with you. We appreciate you guys taking the time to talk with us and stuff. We know this is like, Gosh, life changing as you just said. So well, I know I'm that happy we get to talk with you. Yeah, the buzz. I think what what lends so much credit to you guys is you guys have got such a long track record of of uh, being in the business. Like I mentioned, the podiatry business. Your father, you know, you've got all these these years of of seeing foot problems and issues. And you know, I know that you guys have have worked with a lot of different brands. You know, brands that you can that are you know basically a great fit for certain folks. 
Um, That's right, man. Quality brands, quality brands. Absolutely, and, and then now you've now you've come out with your own, and and I think that's where, um, you know, there's such a good hype with this, and and uh, it just there's a lot of there's a lot of expertise and thought behind this, and I can I can definitely tell. I've I've seen some videos on the new on the new boot, and you guys, I can see your passion with the functionality of it and why. You know, that's kind of the reason why. You know, I mentioned before I'm really into gear, and I, I like to know you know my gear is the absolute best. I I don't want one piece of gear, faulty gear, to kind of set me back in the backcountry. I just put too much money, too much energy, too much thought um, into that time off in the fall. And and like I mentioned, I think the boots is one piece of gear that you just cannot skimp on. You don't want to you don't want to put uh, you, you just you just don't want to kind of not think through your footwear. I think it's, it's one of the things, especially the younger guys are going to learn. Um, I've made mistakes and, and I'm sure all of us have. And I think getting it right, you know, uh, you know, well before the season starts and, and, uh, you know, getting some miles on it and, and really figuring out the best boot, which is what you guys are doing for folks is, is super key to, uh, to creating a, you know, a happy hunter in the fall up there in the mountains. So. Did you guys name your boot and, and where people can find it? Yeah, we uh, we have uh, the Mountain Hunter Elite and we have the Mountain Hunter, and uh, they're on uh, LathamAndSons.com. Perfect. You can reach us at six one eight five four four eight seven eight two, and James and I are here to try to answer any question anyone's got. Yeah, I'm happy to help. And again, like I mentioned before, I, I've got some folks that have gotten in touch with you in the past, and you guys have been doing this a while. But uh, you know, I've heard nothing but good, good things. You know, everybody said, you know, that you, you just the fact that you guys are willing to take the time and, and talk with them and and uh, try to figure out an issue that they've had and and really try to get them into the perfect boot for their foot. You know, no, I've heard it many times. You know, no no two feet are the same, and I've noticed that with my wife especially. I I fortunately have have some pretty. I've been blessed with some good feet. I, I I just don't have blister issues like a lot of my buddies do. Um, my feet are definitely not the same. They're like yeah, but, I tell people when I was going down the you know like I think of like a production line and I was getting ready to be born. They realized I didn't have any feet, so they just threw two separate feet on me and then whoop, <laughs> there she went. <laughs> so I'm like I'm unique. I was like. It was an afterthought kind of deal, right? Yeah, we're going to be we'll be able to help you. There's no doubt about it. We just got to sit down and and pick the right boot. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. So we're gonna we're gonna do that and go through the process and and, and get her hiking and hopefully uh, keeping up a little bit. Now she just got to get into the training. Once I don't know what her excuse is going to be once she uh, has perfect boots, you know, but um, she'll find something. Yeah. How long have you guys been working on the the this model like how long did it take you from kind of the beginning till till this week 2015 wow so a couple years there huh? or a year and a half year and so we could have done what a lot of guys do or a lot of companies do yeah throwing a midsole on and an outsole yeah that looks cool and put your name on it and sell it right yeah i could we could that's called the shortcut yep <laughs> No kidding. When did we start Lathrop and Sons? That's really the answer. That's been over 15 That's years. 15 ago. years in the making, so there you go. Sometimes people have dreams in their life, and they never do it because they're too busy, 
you know, you guys sound like you were busy working and going through your life and, you know. Sure, we were, absolutely, 100%. Sometimes you don't ever actually act on a dream because you're busy and you just, you maybe don't take the time or you don't feel like you have the outlet or the money or whatever it is to do it. And I think it's, it's so cool to see people take something from a thought and make it reality and. Yeah, what I love. Well, you, you touched on something. I do want to say this. We've been blessed. We've been very blessed to have uh, be surrounded by people that really believe in us, and they've helped us out. And I, I just want to let people know who they are, and I just want to thank them for that. Yeah, there's because really some great people in the industry. You know. Uh, um, we may not, it, it may have taken us a lot longer. So, yeah. 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 I, I, I really like the business model that you guys have created here. And, and I think it was just, it was a definite need. There's definitely a niche out there that, that you guys have filled with, with the custom and, you know, fitting guys with the right boots. And, you know, I, I, I know I talk a lot about, you know, hunters and, and how they're going to benefit, but gosh, don't you think that this is something that, you know, this is going to benefit other folks as well. Just just random backpackers and hikers and anybody that gets out there. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and we, we, you guys have got to let us get back on here with you because we need to dive into some other things because you realize these people that are we're all going out west to do this stuff and we all go go grind it with a pack on, but people are working out too, and and that's something we'll have to touch on. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Fun, but I before I let you go, I got to get one story out of you. Um, I, I want to hear a good hunting story from you guys before we let you off. Let's go with that. So we come back from what year was that? It was Colorado. What are you about? Oh, you know what it is, buddy boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we had been to Colorado on our elk hunt. We came home. I'd missed a bull that year. Okay. We came back empty-handed, okay? Should have killed a couple. Should have killed a couple. We came back in empty-handed. And it is time to get back to work. Because when you leave a boot business, you've got a couple part-time guys helping us. They're great dudes, firemen, uh, school teachers in the summer. Great group of guys helping us. We usually carry a sap phone so we could call in at noon and kind of check. So we come back, we're busy, we get unburied. We decided to take some time off to Whitetail Hunt for, it was right, the rut had started and it was getting really good. Starting to heat up. But you get a magic time and there's probably just like the elk, you get, you know, you've got your peak time, but then there's usually, what, three or four days they just go absolutely ballistic and then it kind of chills out and then and they're good again and then, it, you know, yep. well... That's kind of what was going on. So we decided, you know what, we're going to take this time. We're going to put something down. Now, one of the particular farms that we've got, I had spent a couple years hunting this specific area, and I was chasing this hog buck, and he stayed down in this drainage, and he'd come up and down and up and down. And I noticed to the right, occasionally, these bucks had come in, these does would bed up at about 8 o'clock, about 9.30 or 10, these bucks would come in and boom, hit these does, and they'd run, these does would just scatter, right? And it was like they'd, he'd, he'd harass them, they'd bust out, 
they come scattered underneath me, but I was on the other side of this old logging road, and I kept looking at this old cedar tree, and then I thought, yeah, it's like 50 yards away. God, every one of these bucks that has come through here, there's really no trail there, but they end up standing in front of this tree, as crazy as it sounds. This is a true story. So the next year, I, I go in there, and I hang this stand. It's drizzling rain. I hang that stand, and I'm a day late and a dollar short, and it, it, it calmed down. The does weren't quite as hot as they were. We come back from this elk hunt now, okay? That was the year before this. We come back from this elk hunt. He says, I'll be out at the house before daylight, and he's standing there, and we've got our first cold snap. It's 25 degrees. I come out of my house into the garage, and we're having our coffee. Being my little brother, Ryan, he's about a year younger than you, he looks at me and he says, kind of sheepishly, hey, you got a stocking cap I can borrow? I left mine at the house. And I just smiled at him great big and I said, yes, I've got a stocking cap for you. You know what he says to me? Give me a lucky one. I said, okay. And I reach over and I threw him a stocking cap. Where are you going to hunt? I said, well, I'm going to hunt south of the house here. I'm going to get in a tree stand called the Big White Oak, and I climbed up into it, and it's just a natural funnel transition. The timing was right for these big four-and-a-half-year-old bucks, five-and-a-half, to get up and start cruising if they hadn't picked the hot doe up yet. And he said, where do you think I ought to go? And I said, I don't know. I'd go down to such and such. And he goes, what about going up and sitting up on top of that ridge? And I said, yeah, that'd be a great spot. The timing's right. So he climbs up in there. It's probably, what time was it? About 7.15. I get a text message. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. I just killed the biggest buck of my life. I said, what? <laughs> I just killed, I'm serious, Stephen. This thing's got points going everywhere. And I, I said it was a 200 in. I said, you have got to be kidding me. And he goes, I'm not kidding you. Now, you have to understand, Ryan, we live in country. Those kind of deer exist, okay? Right. They get shot during every year, every year in our county. There's some 200s that get shot. And I'm sitting here going, you got to be kidding me. And I'm, I, now I'm sitting here saying, well, just hang loose for a while. I'm going to sit here thinking maybe, you know, I could get a whack at something because it's really good this morning. I'd already seen a couple small bucks cruise through. And I finally couldn't take it anymore. He's like, I'm getting down. He comes to the house, and he said, I'm up at your house now. And I'm thinking, you know what, this is going to be worth it. So I, I text one of my buddies and tell him James killed, shot a smoker. He says he's killed, and he thinks he heard it went down. I come walking up, and I'm walking out of the woods, and I look up, and there's my brother walking at me. He's not at my house. He's so excited. He's walking down to the field to me, and I look up at this guy. He's got that ridiculous freaking hat on his index finger, spinning it in a circle, smiling with his shit-hitting grin, spinning that, and he walks up, and he gives me this hellacious bear hug, and he says, you're not going to believe this. Come to find out, we go in there, and he had just pinwheeled this deer. It quartered away. He he shot this buck sitting down. You tell him the story. It's your buck. All right, so I'm sitting in this stand, 
and I had three does come in from the west out of this field, and they come through this thicket of saplings up on top of the hill. And Stephen said earlier, they logged this area out sometime earlier, and things have grown up. So these does come through there, crossed right out in front of me, and, and, and went back about 20 yards and popped out on this logging road over there. And they were just standing there. And I had a I had a little buck, year and a half old, come through there to the to the right, dropped down the ridge, and just went on to the east, going downhill. So the cedar tree is positioned on the downhill side of this hill, and so your cutout area for your kill zone, you literally you're only what twelve feet off the ground. That's feet. basically what it is. But you're in a cedar tree, and you got all this coverage around you. So I'm sitting there. You feel like you're sticking out, really, because you're that low, but you really aren't. Right. And all of a sudden, I look up, and I heard I heard a grunt, very soft grunt, and I look up, and I see legs coming. That's all I could see there for a second. And then all of a sudden, I look up there, and I see this rack. And at, at first, don't, looking through all these saplings, I really couldn't tell what the hell it was at first because there's so many saplings going through there, but I saw, uh, you know, the spread, and I thought, yeah, it doesn't look like it's that big. Buck ended up being 16 inches wide. And anyhow, he come in, and when he hit about 40 yards, I could see what he was, and I thought, oh, shit, excuse me, oh, my I draw that bow back because I couldn't get up. I couldn't stand up in time. He was coming in, and he ended up stopping about 12 yards to me, quartering, quartering towards me, and a little bit of a depression there. And I am sitting on my can. I got this bow drawn back, and this buck is looking underneath me at these does out on this logging run. He's basically coming through, scent checking everything, and he just was staring at these does, and he wasn't doing anything. I had previously practiced a, a technique that I heard one of our patients tell me. He used to shoot with a guy who used to hold his bow back 30 or 40 seconds just to practice. Right. And I started doing this, uh, and I'm glad I did because I ended up holding that bow back. If it, it had to have been past 40, 45 seconds. And I'll tell you what, it was getting so damn bad, <laughs> I took that bow, and I was resting the limb on my leg, oh, no. and all I could think about was, James, <laughs> if you let this bow down, you're screwed. It's over. You're never going to get back. You know, you hear me? You hear me? I mean, it, it was pretty intense, and I thought, you've got the biggest buck you've ever had sitting right there. You gotta hold it back. You gotta fight through. And that and a few seconds go by and the grace of God, this deer takes two or three steps up into the kill zone and he turned and started walking almost straight away from me. He hit about thirty yards and I put that pin right on his his left side and I shot and I hit him perfectly right in front of that left hand and it drove that arrow right over into the off shoulder on the other side. He took off, 
veered off towards the north, and I, I heard what sounded like rustling of leaves and all that, and that went quiet. I just remember I pulled out. And this is back when I, I'm kind of a. <laughs> I guess I'm a little tightwad when it comes to the phones. I had one of these little flip-up phones. You know, you got to hit the the number two or three times to get to the right letter. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm that. trying to. I'm trying to <laughs> type this message to my brother. I just shot a 200-inch deer. I'm not kidding you. And when I hit send, it wouldn't go out. I didn't have enough signal for it to go out. So I had to sit there on my hands for a while. Anyhow, he ended up scoring one seventy four and five oh, eggs. Wow. It's an amazing animal. It had drop tines and fort G twos and fort G threes and just mass and just it was, it was, it was everything you'd ever want in a, in a in a Midwest hardwood whitetail. I mean, it that was that was a, just an awesome deal. So it was it was really special. It was a lot of fun and. Um, Sounds like it, yeah, and the and the lucky hat too. It's a true story. I'm guessing yeah. you you might have wore that hat a couple hunts after that too. No, I have I have that hat. <laughs> it, hasn't, it hasn't brought me quite that kind of luck. <laughs> oh, but it did once, and I can imagine you wouldn't want to get rid of it. <laughs> That's no, awesome. Man, good story. It good it's cool. We had a lot of fun bow hunting. That's our passion. Absolutely. Man, that's awesome. Great story. Love it. Well, again, guys, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. You know, I, I love the information. I love the knowledge. Um, getting it from a couple guys that have so much expertise in the field. I just think, you know, I can't reiterate enough how important it is to, uh, you know, it, 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 just focus on the gear that's going to matter the most uh, when you're making an investment. And, and like I mentioned many times, boots are one of them. Boots are probably the, one of the most important, if not the most. And, um, and you guys, you know, gave a bunch of great information today and, and hopefully a lot of our listeners get something out of it. So again, thanks for coming on guys. All right. Thanks for having both of you for having us. We appreciate it. Hey folks, thanks for listening to the hunt harvest health podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit our website at huntharvesthealth.com for more podcast stories and recipes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hunt Harvest Health. You can also message me at stahealthyhunter, that's S-T-H, and I will be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Also tag your photos, Hunt Harvest Health, or Get Stealthy, as we enjoy seeing what you guys are doing as well.